0: Well good morning church family. It's wonderful to see you all here today and um, we're really going to um, pray you up today. Benjamin just prayed for us but I would like to um, open us with a word of prayer before we get into God's word and ask God to lead us and to guide us and to change us through this time we spend as we look at his word together. So would you join with me in a word of prayer? Father we thank you for the time of worship this morning. We thank you for for Benjamin and the worship team as they had led us before you in singing your praises and Lord I thank you too that we have the privilege of of giving to you of the things that you have given to us which is an act of worship. Father I pray for the fellowship of our church it's such an unusual time. Lord many people are joining us virtually today we thank you for their attendance here but Father it's not the kind of fellowship that we're used to and Lord, I pray that you would guide us through these times and help us to maintain fellowship within the body of Christ, even though we may not be gathered like we would like to be. Father, I pray, too, as we read your word this morning, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to us in the pages of your word. Help us to see Jesus today. Father, I pray that as we read, that we would allow your word to penetrate our hearts and Lord, that we would be open to the work of Your Spirit, Father, and that we will be changed as a result of hearing Your Word, Father. I pray as well that we would encourage one another consistently in the Word of God. Father, open our eyes, give us give us insight, give us understanding, and help us to see You today. Amen. Well, as we get started today, one of the one of the rules that we've broken, kind of this is when I say rule, it's just kind of a an underlying thing, we generally do not decorate for Christmas until after Thanksgiving. It's usually this coming week. But I asked um, Tracy Wishard if she would help me out this week by putting a Christmas tree up on the platform because it, there's something I would like you to remember when we talk about gifts. And I just thought the visualization of the Christmas tree as well as there's a present on a stool that's addressed to all of you, to the believers at Riverstone Church. And I'd like to open it up and see what we have here this morning. Wow, would you look at this? There's $1,000 for each of you in there. <laughs> um, only kidding. Uh, what we have is a box of Christmas ornaments. Now, as we look at these Christmas orna- ornaments, what we see is that these ornaments are the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that was referred to in ephesians chapter 1 verses 3 to 14. and i wanted to give us a reminder because if you're a believer in jesus christ and the language that paul used throughout ephesians chapter 1 was he kept referring to it as in christ as being in christ you are a recipient of god's unbelievable gifts And as we think about Christmas coming up in gift giving, these are gifts that you as a believer in Jesus Christ have just bountifully been given by God. The first one here, it says, you have been chosen by God. Put this over here on our tree. Hopefully I do a good job so they don't come bouncing off during the sermon today. Um, The second one says that you have been adopted by God. The third one says that you have been redeemed by God. See if I can get the language, the words to stay out towards you guys. The fourth one says that you have been forgiven by God. The fifth one says that you have been given an inheritance by God. And lastly, one that says, you have been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Oops, oh, told you I'm Christmas ornament challenged. Now, as we look at these different ornaments today, and as I read these to you one by one, I wanna ask you a question. As I read these, what kind of a reaction in your heart did you have? What was the response in your heart as I listed and read to you the spiritual blessings that you have received from God? See, I think for so many of us, we have a sense of spiritual apathy that we can just go through our lives and we can so easily forget the things that God has so richly blessed us with that I would have to challenge you on this. If picture on Christmas morning, you walk downstairs and hanging from the Christmas tree are the keys to a new luxury vehicle, let's say a Mercedes, a Ferrari, maybe some of you are truck drivers, your ultimate truck, whatever it might be, and that vehicle was sitting out in the driveway and your loved one hung those keys on the tree for you for Christmas morning. See, how many of you thought about these gifts with the same kind of passion that you would think about if you were given a luxury vehicle on Christmas Day. So I think sadly for many of us, that spiritual apathy sets in and we, and we tend to take for granted, we tend to think, forget about the things that God has so richly given us, all because we are believers in Jesus Christ, or as Paul says, we are in Christ. You see, as I look at these ornaments, there's not one of these spiritual blessings that I would ever want to trade in for any luxury vehicle, for any luxury beach house on any beachfront property in the world. Because think about what it would look like to your, in your life if you had to give up being chosen by God, if you had to give up being redeemed by God or forgiven by God or sealed with the Holy Spirit. You see, can you imagine giving up the forgiveness of sins? Can you imagine the sealing of the Holy Spirit who identifies us in Christ? And now we don't have to ever wonder, am I going to go to heaven one day to be with Jesus? Have I done enough? You see, you don't ever have to worry about that because the Holy Spirit has sealed you and given you an assurance of your salvation. So when our lives on this earth are over, if you are in Christ, you are with Christ and there's no questions asked. You see, I think we forget what these blessings really mean to us. Well, today, we're gonna be transitioning up to this point. We've gone through Ephesians chapters one through three, and now we hit Ephesians chapter four. And I wanna just bring your attention to one thing. In the first three chapters of Ephesians, there was only one command or exhortation or imperative given to us in all three of those chapters. And that was found in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, where Paul said to remember. And what Paul was referring to was, remember back to before, before you were in Christ, who you used to be, and he tells us to remember. And that's the only command or exhortation that's found in those first three chapters. And now we come to chapter 4. And it's almost as if what the transition that's taking place here that Paul is is working through is he's saying, remember who you were in Christ. And those first three chapters give us all of these blessings, tell us all of the things that we've been given by God because we're in Christ. And now Paul is saying, now go and live like it. And that's where we find ourselves in chapter four. And when we get into verse one, what we see is the exhortations begin to flow in chapter four. And we see a very key one in chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul exhorts us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now, walk in a manner worthy. I think we're going to have to look through this today and say, what exactly is Paul referring to? And what does it look like to walk worthy of the calling that God has given us? Let's take a look and let's read verses 1 through 6 as we get started. You can follow along with me. I apologize for this side of the room without a screen today. It's going to be harder to see, but I'll read through and we're going to look at chapter 4 verses 1 to 6. Therefore I, er, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience and showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you, also, you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Now Paul begins this section here in verse 1 and he introduces himself as I, a prisoner of the Lord. Now Paul was not spiritualizing when he said that. Paul literally was a prisoner at the time that he wrote this. And what Paul basically looks like he's saying to us here is that I, Paul, am a prisoner. And the reason he was a prisoner because he was living a life worthy of the calling to which he was called. And because of that he was placed in prison he was in prison because of his faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to go back a lot of years before I went to seminary, before I was a pastor, I used to be in marketing and I was looking at this and I'm thinking, wow, well, you know what? It's really not a great sales pitch that Paul's giving here. He's kind of saying like, hey, listen, I I walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which I have been called and now I'm in prison. You should too. Now, I I don't think many people on that basis are going to jump on that. I think for us today here, we're going to be saying, well, well, Paul, I I got to go home and rake the leaves. Um, Paul, we got lunch coming up in a little while. I don't think I... You see, but if we rephrase that to the way that I believe Paul really meant it, I think what Paul is telling us here is Paul is saying that, you know, I am now living in Christ. I'm walking in a manner worthy of the calling to which I have been called And I am in prison for Christ. And what Paul is saying is, I wouldn't trade it for anything. Paul is saying is, I am living a life in Christ that is so glorious that the threat of prison, the threat of death or anything, doesn't matter to me because of the blessing I have of living my life in Christ and walking a manner worthy of that calling. And I think he now says to us, you too should walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. I don't know about you, but to have something that I'd be willing to die for is pretty appealing to me. I think that's the basis that Paul is making this exhortation to all of us. Now, as we went through this, I just wanted to, um, I mentioned earlier that one through three had no exhortations in it. What we find is that chapters one through three are filled with wonderful doctrine. And it's a found, building a foundation in those chapters, showing us of what it means to be in Christ. And as we look at chapters 1 through 3, what we saw in chapter 1 was all of these spiritual blessings that have been given to us. Paul called them the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places that are now yours. Moved into chapter 2, and what we see in chapter 2 is now Paul starts talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. And how Jesus Christ came to this earth, and by coming into this earth, and through the gospel, he broke down the barrier walls that were dividing Jew and Gentile. Now, that may not be a big deal for us today, because I don't think we consider too many barrier walls between Jew and Gentile in our daily lives. But, you know, if we bring it into the 21st century, it could be like saying he broke down the barrier walls between Jew and Palestinian. He broke down the barrier walls between white and black. He broke down the barrier walls between Democrat and Republican. He broke down the barrier walls between Eagles fans and Cowboys fans. Whatever it is you want to say, Jesus Christ broke down the barrier walls through the gospel message, and we see the beauty of that in chapter 2. And that way, where there was once hatred, where there was once anger, where there was once distrust, there is now unity in Jesus Christ. And then we move on, Paul moved on to chapter 3, And what we saw in chapter 3 was Paul's talking about this mystery that's now been revealed to us in Jesus. Such a beautiful mystery that was revealed by the coming of Christ. And I want to read, he describes it so much better than I ever could, it's the Word of God, in chapter chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. Let's take a look at that for a moment. Beginning in verse 14, it says, "'For this reason I bow my knees before the Father.'" and to know the love of Christ, which surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled up to all the fullness of God. See what a beautiful picture what Paul's showing us here of what it looks like to be in Christ as that mystery has been revealed. So we saw that, you know, through these chapters we see this this difference, and what I'd like to say is that chapters 1 through 3 bring us wonderful doctrine, and chapters 4 through 6 bring us practice mentioned as Paul's like saying you know all you've been given all these things you're in Christ now go live like it so we have doctrine and we have practice but I want to give us a warning you see doctrine without practice is legalism It's like we as believers start to build these walls, like this fortress mentality to try to keep the world out because we want to protect the doctrine of Jesus Christ. And we're so concerned about protecting our doctrine that we forget to go out and live in the world that God has called us to reach with the gospel. And we're so concerned about doctrine that we're forgetting practice. You see, that's a dead faith. But on the other side, practice without doctrine is a deadly faith. See, what it leads to, practice without doctrine leads to liberalism without the power of God, without biblical truth, without the Spirit of God working through us. And now we find ourselves going out and I'm going to go out and feed the hungry. I'm going to go out and serve the poor. I'm going to go out. And if you notice, the emphasis is on I because people are doing it apart from the truth of God's Word, apart from the Spirit of God within them. And pretty soon, we get into a liberalism that starts to deny the biblical truth of God's word. But you see, Ephesians 1 through 6 gives us a beautiful blend of doctrine and practice in wonderful balance. And that's what God has called us to. Now, I mentioned that um, as we go through this, um, I want to just, we got the first that first command or exhortation was given to us in verse 1, where Paul said, for us to walk in a manner of the calling with which you have been called. Now, I would like to read verses 2 and 3 um, in a moment, but before I do that, well, actually, let me, like, actually, I, I want to read that to you here for a moment, because I want to show you, as we go through this, Paul's giving us some examples of what it looks like for us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called let's unpack verses two and three it says with all humility and gentleness with patience showing tolerance for one another in love being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace alistair Begg, he's a famous pastor out in um, cleveland ohio referred to what we find in verses two and three as five ingredients To unity in the spirit, in the bond of peace. Now, I think that's a great illustration because picture baking a cake. What happens if you bake a cake with lousy ingredients? You're probably going to end up with a lousy cake. But if you bake a cake with wonderful ingredients, most likely, unless you bake like me, you're going to end up with a wonderful cake. You see, the ingredients are so important to the end product. And when we look at biblical unity, I could tell you as a pastor to go out and live in unity. But you see, you're going to go out in the flesh and try on your own effort. And what does it look like to live in unity? But what we see here is five specific ingredients from the Word of God to what unity looks like in the eyes of God. And so it's so so important as we look at this, I want to also be careful that We've been talking a lot about unity over the last months. But I will say we're living at a time where our country, our world, and our community are experiencing more disunity than any time in my lifetime. And I would challenge us outside, unless you were alive during World War II, I don't know if we've experienced this kind of global disunity amongst us. And it's crept into the church. Now, we've talked about different things that come into the church that have caused disunity in recent months, but I think a picture is worth a thousand words. Again, for this side of the room, I'm sorry. I'm going to put a couple pictures up on the screen and just give us a reminder of the challenges that we're facing that are bringing disunity to our culture and our churches today. Let's take a look at that slide presentation for a moment. See, what we see here is a country and within churches that are getting hit with so many issues that are bringing disunity. How do we respond? If God tells us, or if I as a pastor tell you to go out and be unified, what do you do? What does it look like? Well, let's look at verses 2 and 3 and look at these ingredients that Alistair Bay called as a, you know, to our, our ingredients to, to build unity. The first one that we see there as we look at Ephesians 4, Chapter 2 is humility. That's the first ingredient to the cake that we're making today. Now I want to share a little bit of a story. If you like history, there's a story from American history on humility. Benjamin Franklin was living in Boston in the early years of his life. And when he was living as a young man up in Boston, one day he went to visit the famous Puritan pastor Cotton Mather. Now Cotton Mather was a godly man if you don't know anything about him. And I want to read to you right from Benjamin Franklin's very own words. These are recorded by Benjamin Franklin about his visit to visit Cotton Mather's house. What he said was, he was showing me out of the house, and there was a very low beam near the doorway. I was still thinking when Mather began shouting, stoop, stoop. I didn't understand what he meant, and I banged my head on the beam. You're young, he said, and you have the world before you. Stoop as you go through it, and you will avoid many hard thumps. I, avoid, I avoided many misfortunes by not carrying my head too high in pride. Now, I'm not holding um, Benjamin Franklin up as a virtuous Christian man, because um, if you know much about Benjamin Franklin, he was not very virtuous. But Cotton Mather was a godly man, a godly pastor. And what we see in it, this is recorded through Benjamin Franklin's words are the emphasis that Cotton Mather placed on the Christian virtue of humility. Now, we can go back about 1,300 or so years before Cotton Mather to about 400 AD or so, and one of the early church fathers, Augustine, said this about humility. He said, if you ask me, what is the first precept of the Christian religion, I am going to say first, second, and third, humility. Now, Let's go about 400 years before Augustine to the greatest example that we have, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. Picture Jesus; he walks into a room with all of his disciples there. All of them, they're sitting there with their dirty, dusty feet, and here comes the Son of God. And what does he do? He takes out a basin, and one by one, he washes the feet of the disciples. What a great display of humility, as the Son of God is washing the dirty feet of those he traveled with. You see, biblical humility is not thinking lowly of yourself. See, Jesus never thought lowly of himself. He knew who he was. Think of biblical humility as remembering as a disciple of Jesus Christ that nothing, that everything you possess has come from the hand of God. That nothing but the grace of God allows you to be who you are in christ and apart from jesus christ you can do nothing see that's who we are it's in christ that gives us the standing and the position that we have and there's no reason for us to not be humble as people because everything we have and everything we are comes to us from god himself now the second ingredient is gentleness if you see on the screen See, the Greek Greek word that's used here to describe gentleness is really talking about, it's used commonly to talk about a controlled and domesticated animal. Think about an ox. That would be a great example. The power of an ox... And now farmers use those oxes and they, tied a, they put a harness on it, they tied it to the plow and they would use it for farming on their farm. But think about that power that was there in that ox because at any moment, he could have broken through that harness, he could have destroyed that plow, he could have killed the farmer. But what we saw, we saw this animal, this power that was under control. Think of gentleness as the conscious exercise of self-control. It's a lifestyle of choosing gentleness over the use of power for retaliation or for getting what we want to get. See, that's what gentleness is. It's not a very common trait today, is it? Now, those are the first two we just saw. We saw here that we have, you know, just looking through there, humility and gentleness, and it brings us to the third ingredient, which is patience. Now, consider patience, waiting patiently without results for a long time. Think of a farmer. He plants the seed, and what does he have to do now? He has to wait and let it grow until the crop grows for the harvest time. There's nothing that he can do to make that that crop grow any faster. He needs to wait patiently upon it growing. And in our lives today, there's so many things that we endure, that we go through, that patience is called on, and God is asking us to be able to be followers of Jesus Christ who learn to wait patiently. Now, if we look at this, I would say that those first two, humility and gentleness, are a prerequisite for the third, patience. See, how many people that are haughty, proud, and arrogant are very patient people? Have you ever been at, like, Macy's or Penny's or whatever in line, and you see somebody that's up in the front, and they're demanding what they want, how they want it, when they want it? You see, we see that all the time in our culture. You see, haughty and proud people are very seldom patient people. You see, think about how people ask, act. Like a, a haughty person, they start to act rather harshly when they don't get what they think they are due. But you see, a humble and a gentle person realizes, you know what, I really am not due anything. I am who I am because of Jesus Christ. And we see that gentle and humble people tend to act patiently as they go through life. Now, the fourth ingredient that we see is love. Think about the scripture. We see different, the scripture it talks about a lot. We look in 1 Corinthians, we see different places. We can see what? Faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is what? It's love. And we see this fourth ingredient, but notice the way Paul says it. He doesn't just say love. He says bearing with one another in love or in this example here, being diligent I'm sorry, bearing with one another in love is what it says. See, different translations will say it differently. But bearing with one another in love, let's translate that a little bit differently. And I think what we can just say is it's kind of tolerating the differences in one another in love. Because it's pretty easy to love somebody who gives you what you want. It's pretty easy to love somebody who loves you in return. It's pretty easy to love someone that puts you ahead of themselves. But you know what? That's seldom the world that we live in. So what does it look like to be able to bear with one another in love when it's that person who really is kind of annoying? It's that person in church who tends to kind of push all of your buttons. It's that person who wants what they want and they think about you well below themselves. You See, what does it look like to bear with one another in love in those contexts? Now, the fifth ingredient that we see here is and a diligence to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, if you look at this, I believe it's in the NIV and the ESV, refer to that as an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Now, if you think about that word eagerness, Paul's not saying here that he wants you to go out and desire unity. He doesn't want you to go out and hope for unity. He says he wants you to have an eagerness to maintain the unity of the Spirit. Let me share a secret with you guys. There are some angry, there are some prickly, there are some pretty judgmental, there are some pretty grumpy people at Riverstone Church. That's a secret. Now, let me tell you another secret. You and I are two of them. You see, all of us tend to want what we want, when we want it, how we want it. Aren't we focused in our sin nature so much on me, so much on what I can get, so much am I getting my needs met? Are they doing what I want them to do? We live in a very me-centered culture because we have a lot of people, all of us with sin natures, and you bring us into the church, and you know what? We are not perfected yet, folks. We are sinners Saved through the grace of God, and we're forgiven of our sins, but we're still a bunch of grumpy, prickly, judgmental believers in Jesus Christ. And now God is putting us all together, and He's telling us to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. So that's where we are as a church. Now, as I say this, you're probably sitting there, Pastor Bob, you're getting a little too close to home on some of these things. We see, I want to tell you, as a church, that God has called us to live in such a way that our hearts, our lives reflect the ingredients that we see here in this passage. Now, if I want to get a little bit closer to home, do your actions and your behaviors reflect these ingredients that we see in this passage? Do we see an eagerness in you to maintain the unity of the Spirit by how you act What happens when somebody cuts you off in traffic? You see, my wife, she calls that for me my road righteousness. And we spent about four hours in the car yesterday. I was doing all of the driving, and I can remember two times in particular when my road righteousness came out. Now, so one is your outward behavior. And you might think, okay, well, I'm pretty good with that. Well, how about who you are on social media when nobody else is looking? If I were to put all of your texts and tweets and all the different things up on the screen right now, would you look like a very gentle, humble, loving, patient person? You know, not only do we have social media, but how about just your thoughts of what goes through your mind? You see, what I'd like to point out is all of us have a lot of room to grow. You don't think so? Let me ask you a couple questions. How is, your re- heart, how is your heart responding to the recent election? What goes on in your heart when you hear the person sitting next to you at Riverstone Church and you overhear that they voted for that other presidential candidate? What does your heart do? How about when you're sitting in your Bible study and that other person in the Bible study is on the opposite perspective of what they think the schools should do about opening or reopening or closing? How are you going to feel If Pennsylvania starts tightening up restrictions and the Board of Elders of Riverstone Church have us go back to virtual church again. I love being gathered here together, but these are difficult decisions. And what does your heart do? You know, I just sat in on on Thursday, two licensing councils with the Evangelical Free Church. If you don't know what that is, you get a panel of about 10 or 11 people. um, And we ask questions of the candidates that are coming forward to be licensed or ordained. And it's about a three-hour oral exam on doctrine and theology. Now, the first one happened to be my son, who is a youth pastor in the Evangelical Free Church out in Lancaster. And um, I can say he unanimously passed his licensing council. I got to sit on that council. It was a privilege to be there for my son and to be part of that. But you see, when we get into theological circles, see, there's differences in theological circles. And what I noticed was even on that council, when it comes to some of the non-essentials that I think as Christians, some of us tend to hold way too strongly to some of the non-essentials. See, there were people on that council that had different perspectives of the the millennial kingdom. You know, is it pre-millennial or is it amillennial? See, some of us, that really matters. Some of you sit here looking glazed over, have no idea what I'm talking about, but that's okay. See, what about, are you a Calvinist or an Aminian? See, how do you think about someone who holds a different view than you? What about the sign gifts? What if all of a sudden you find out that that person in your Bible study speaks in tongues? You know, and you're sitting there thinking, well, I think they, that you know they, too, they stopped 2,000 years ago. I'm a cessationist. You see, as churches, we can divide over some of these non-essentials and we can have judgmental spirits in our hearts And some of those things maybe don't phase too many of you, so I'm gonna get a little closer to home. If you're married, are there any differences between you and your spouse? Now, somebody gave me an example this week. They said, you know what, being on time is really important to them. Well, what if your spouse doesn't hold the same priority on being on time? And your spouse causes you to be late for something that you thought was really important what goes on inside your heart towards your spouse? See, maybe it's, I don't live in your home, so maybe it's something else. You know what I love to ask? It's great to ask the teenagers what they see in their moms and dads and those differences. That's where I got my answer to being late, from one of the teenagers in our church talking about his mom and dad. You see, We as Christians have so many different things that can cause disunity in our hearts and therefore disunity within the body of Christ. So, I want to encourage all of us that, you know, if we're a church family that we're eager to maintain unity in the spirit of the bonds of peace, we're going to be a healthy church. If we're the kind of church that's eager to argue over non-essential doctrine, we're going to be a pretty unhealthy church. You see, what we want to do is we want to bear with one another in love. We want to hold f- firmly to the essentials. We want to hold loosely to the non-essentials. We want to love those, have different opinions of us than us on so many of these different topics. How do we go about doing it? Well, let's wrap up and look at verses 4 through 6. I spent most of my time today on those first three verses on purpose, but 4 through 6 gives us a wonderful perspective of the Trinity in this as well. So listen as I read these verses. There is one body and one spirit, just as you also were called in one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. You see, in these three verses, Paul uses the word one seven times. Look at the screen. One body, one spirit, one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one, One God and Father. You see, seven times, if you're a Bible scholar or a Bible student of the Bible, you should be aware when you find something used seven times, put up your flag and say, wow, I need to look at this more closely. And what we see is that, you know, we as Christians, when it comes to going out and living in unity, when it comes to going out and loving, being gentle, being patient, being humble, you see, we're going to fail all the time because we're very weak, we're very fickle, but you know who's not? Our one God, our one Lord, our one Holy Spirit. You see, what Paul's showing us here is, our answer to living in unity is not found in who we are apart from Christ. Our answer is found in the oneness of what we see in verses four through six, and it comes from being in Christ, and when we are in Christ and we recognize that I'm adopted, I'm redeemed, I'm chosen, I'm sealed, I'm forgiven. See, this is the key, folks, to how we can now live humbly, gently, patiently. It's not about us trying harder. I know as a pastor, if I told you, listen, I want you all to leave here today and go out and try to be patient and humble and, and gentle and loving, you might make it for about two or three hours until something happens, and you're going to fail miserably. But you see, the key to this is remembering that we are in Christ. It's the foundation that chapters one through three build up. And now as we look at this, we can go out in Christ, and we can walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And you know how we do it? It's through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's remembering that I am a depraved sinner, And apart from God, I am nothing. But you know what? That's not who I am today. I'm still a sinner. But you know what? I've been saved. I've been forgiven. I'm now in Christ. And the power is within me to live as Christ wants me to live. And it comes through the gospel working on me and transforming me on the inside. I changed my conclusion that I wanted to wrap up with. And I'm just going to wrap up with this. Because I was listening to a sermon yesterday from Tim Keller. He gave a beautiful illustration. He talked about wax. Do you remember how in the old days they used to seal envelopes with wax? And they would just get the wax. They would get it warm and melted and it would get a glob on the envelope. And what would they do? They would take a ring, a signet ring that was engraved. And that engraving meant something. And they would take that ring and they would push it down into the wax and the wax would kind of squeeze out to the sides, but what would be left in the middle was an imprint exactly like what was on the signet ring. And folks, our hearts, your heart is like that wax. Remember in Jeremiah 31, what did did God say to us? I am going to take away their hearts of stone and give them a heart of flesh. You see, when your heart is warm, your heart is soft, what it means is you're allowing the Spirit of God to work inside of you you're allowing the gospel to take root and now when the spirit of God works he's like that hand that's coming down and pushing down and when the spirit of God lets go and releases and he's done his work on you what's left an imprint of Jesus Christ see that's what it means to conform to the image of Christ and what it means is we need to remember who we are apart from Christ our sinful condition our depravity And it means we need to come to God, not bringing anything, and saying, Lord, change me. And as we trust him for the forgiveness of our sins, and we go on repenting throughout our lives, turning from sin and turning to God, and allowing the gospel to transform us, when the world on the outside looks at you, they no longer see you the sinner. They see Jesus Christ. But you see, when we start forgetting what kingdom we live in, and we start allowing the secular media, the secular news, the internet, the people around us to shape us more than the word of God. We're not allowing that Holy Spirit to get down. And Tim Keller made a really good point. He said, what happens when that ring goes down and the wax is cold and hardened? He says, either it just scratches the surface and leaves a very superficial imprint and the rest of the wax is unchanged, or it breaks the wax. And see, folks, what we need to do is we need to have hearts that are transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, recognizing who we are apart from Christ, recognizing all that we've been given, all that Jesus is, and allowing the gospel to transform us. So then when the world sees us, now they start to see a person who is humble and gentle and patient and bearing with one another in love, and eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit, because that's what God's called us to do. And God's called us all to make a cake. And I want to challenge you on which of these ingredients are you weakest, and ask God to grow you in that area and allow the gospel to change you from the inside out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the reality of the gospel. We thank you that we're not in this on our own. Father, I pray that you would transform us. Help us to reflect the image of Christ. Help us to be individuals and help us to be a church that walk in the unity of the Spirit. Lord, may we each walk in the manner of the the call to which you have called us. Father, we can't do it on our own. We desperately need Jesus. Father, change us and help us, Lord to look more like our Savior day by day. Amen.